Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're continuing through Romans chapter 8. This could be one of the most important passages in the whole Bible. Uh, John Piper, Dr. John Piper, believes this is the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. And that makes me nervous because I want to make sure I try to do some form of justice to it. But you'll experience that firsthand as you apply what Romans chapter 8 is teaching us. Let's look closely at the text. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. This was the final verse of yesterday's devotion. When we have our minds set on just what our flesh wants, we want to drink our pain away. We want to abuse drugs. We want to just like lounge and laze and sloth out and utterly overdo it with a Netflix binge. And we want to isolate rather than going to small group, rather than feeding the homeless, rather than serving in worship ministry, rather than serving in student ministry, rather than serving in whatever ministry God calls you to, the abortion clinic prayer ministry, like whatever God's calling you to do. We just want to do what the flesh wants. When we have our minds set on those things, it's what we become. But when our mind is set on the things of the Spirit, when we're listening to the Holy Spirit's conviction and calling and prompting, then we have life, we have peace. It doesn't mean that it's easy, all right? Sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to call you to do something you don't want to do. The Holy Spirit will be that prompting in your heart to bring up the gospel in conversation. It happened to me after church Sunday, week before last. We needed groceries, stopped by the grocery store. Uh, the kids were in the car. I went in and I picked up some stuff uh, for, for dinner that night and for, uh, for the next morning as well. And then I'm exhausted. I am beat. Like after, after I preach and I drum and all that stuff, man, I'm just exhausted. I usually come home and just go into an absolute coma. I don't take a nap. I take a coma every Sunday afternoon before small group. And man, it was like the last thing in the world that was on my mind. And in my flesh, I was just like, I just want to check out. And then I just want to leave and I want to go home and I want to just like feed the kids and then just pass out. That's all I really want to do. But the Holy Spirit was saying like, your ministry is not done today. I want you to bring something up with this guy. I want you to assure him of his father's love for him. And this is a risky proposition because like, what if that's not the Holy Spirit of God? What if that's just my head? How do you distinguish between my own inkling, your own ideas, your own thinking, and something the Holy Spirit has really laid on you to do? The answer is scripture. Okay, if what has come into your heart aligns with Scripture, you can trust that this is the Holy Spirit of God. That I don't believe that the Holy Spirit will speak to you audibly per se, but I do believe that the, that the Holy Spirit will put thoughts in your mind. And the way that you distinguish between these spirits is by way of Scripture. If your whole life is saturated in Scripture, then you can spot the counterfeit easily. You know that it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you when what comes to your heart, what is laid on your mind, the thought that God puts in your head is biblical. And so that mind that is set on the things of the Spirit will obey the Holy Spirit's calling. And then this is how those cool, miraculous, God being put on the spot and then God coming through miraculously kind of stories all come, uh, come to pass. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. See, I told you this was coming today. The mindset of the flesh is death. Every sin, when full grown, will give birth to 
death. We saw this in last week's devotion. We talked about this in last week's devotion. We used the example of covetousness in last Saturday's devotion, but now think on this for a moment as well. All right, the suicide rate among those whose lives are built around identifying sin, a whole identity based around a given sin, the suicide rate is through the roof. And moreover, even some of these sinful practices are deadly in themselves when they're full grown. All right, if you are hell bent, quite literally, all right, in your hatred towards someone, it's going to kill you, man. It's going to kill you. It's going to, I mean, even if it doesn't degrade your arteries and give you an aneurysm from stress, which is a killer in the long run. If you act upon these impulses and you get violent, you're likely to die too. I mean, good grief. Every one of these sins from kleptomania to uh, ravenous adultery, you know, all of these sins, when they're full grown, when they're taken to their logical end, will, get, will result in death. Take any sin, no matter how seemingly benign, and then trace it to its ultimate end. What is the ultimate outcome if I continue down this track? All right, if I continue down this track of hatred, I continue down this track of adultery, I continue down this track of pride, I continue down this track of gluttony, I continue down this track, every one of these sins ultimately is going to lead to death. But then juxtapose these outcomes with the outcomes of following the Holy Spirit's promptings, the conviction to repent from sin, and the prompting to bring up the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the Holy Spirit leading you into joy, to love, to peace. What are the ultimate outcomes of these? We saw this in our sermon this past weekend. The ultimate outcomes of these and the fruits of these are the Spirit. And what's the ultimate outcome of all this? Nothing short of heaven, my friend. The mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. Those inklings, those ideas that the Holy Spirit lays on your heart, the thoughts that God puts in your mind, these are from the Holy Spirit. They pass the biblical litmus test. It's going to lead to peace in your life. It's going to lead to life in the long run. It may, it, uh, don't, don't necessarily think of peace as the absence of struggle and the absence of war. Rather, you're going to have peace in the midst of it. Doing what the Holy Spirit of God tells you to do could put you in hot water with HR. And that doesn't necessarily mean an absence of conflict, but you'll have peace in the midst of it because the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. And if you're doing what the Holy Spirit of God has told you to do, and it truly is the Holy Spirit speaking to you, look what the text says. The mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. You can come under court-martial as an officer in the armed forces and have perfect peace standing right there, all right, while you're under fire, in the legal sense, because you know that you did what God laid on your heart to do. Your conscience will be crystal clear. You'll sleep like a big, fat, sanctified baby. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. This verse is heavy with theological significance. There's no such thing as moral neutrality. When a Christian and a non-Christian talk about moral issues, the non-Christian cannot feign neutrality because the non-Christian does not have the Holy Spirit of God. They can only think in the mindset of the flesh. They cannot think in the mindset of the Spirit. This is why Jesus's parables went over the heads of those who would not believe and not be saved. They didn't have spiritual ears to hear what was being said. 
And as a result, it was totally lost on them. When a non-Christian and a Christian are debating matters of morality, the non-Christian would come to the table feigning objectivity, assuming neutrality. But the Bible says that that's not possible and that's not true. Look at this. The mindset of the flesh is actually hostile to God. Why is it that in a sexually liberated culture, everything is allowed, but repenting from homosexuality and praying with people who want to repent from homosexuality is not allowed. In fact, there's a trial going on right now for exactly that reason. It's because they're not morally neutral. They're actually hostile to God while feigning neutrality. It's not possible for them to be truly neutral. Look at this. The text says it is unable to do so. This verse teaches us tremendous amount about the, the, the doctrine of total depravity. The mindset of our flesh by default is hostile toward God. And it's not possible for the mindset of the flesh to submit to God's law. You remember this from the day that you were saved. It was a miracle. The Holy Spirit of God rushed in and you were convinced of the resurrection of Jesus. You knew by faith that the Father resurrected the Son. And this was not, this was not the solving of some sort of moral equation. You didn't reason your way to God. It was a miraculous salvation. And then on the other side of it, you had ears to hear. And so it made sense. You had eyes to see and you could read. This mindset of the flesh is unable to submit to the law of God. There are people who will try and they're tormented. They remain paradoxes. Not in the sense that Paul describes in Romans chapter 7, being someone who's born into a sinful body, aware of the law of God, wanting to do what pleases God, but not always able to do so. Rather, this paradox is holding two perfectly conflicting truths in your hand. This is the cognitive dissonance of someone who's trying to, trying to submit to the law of God by his own merit, trying to use the law of God like a rubric, like a syllabus given by a teacher full of extra credit assignments and saying, I can use the law of God to become more righteous. That's the polar opposite of the purpose of the law. That's the polar opposite of the effect that the law of God has on Christians because by the Holy Spirit, we become convicted for our sin and we become aware looking at the law of just how miserably short we've all fallen from the standard of God. The rich young ruler tried to do this. He was proud of his checklist of the things that he had done. Matthew chapter seven describes people who will be shocked that they are not admitted into heaven because they thought that they had done all these righteous things. They tried by their own mindsets to adhere to the law of God. But the truth is that the mindset of the mindset of the the mindset of the, the, the flesh is unable to actually submit to the law of God. It's not possible for us by our own flesh and sin-stained mindsets to decide, you know what, I'm gonna just obey the Ten Commandments, for example, and that's gonna make me a better person. Right? Rather, the mindset of the flesh by default is actually hostile to God. It's not neutral. Look for Dr. Greg Bonson, B-A-H-N-S-E-N, uh, -E uh, the late great Dr. Greg Bonson, who kind of rearticulated Cornelius Van Til's teachings on this. Uh, it's called the myth of neutrality. The mindset of the flesh is actually hostile to God. It's not possible for the mindset of the flesh to actually submit to the, God, uh, the law of God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God.
You cannot please God. So if you've been a walking paradox, and you can relate to what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, but you haven't actually bucked up and repented from sin, to you, repenting from sin seems a little bit overly drastic. Repentance seems a little too costly, and you're a little too comfortable in the mindset of the flesh. You're not pleasing God. You're not going to be able to please God. Right? The text says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You've got to slay the flesh. You have to die to sin. Do you remember what Jesus said about following him? Whoever wants to follow me must take up his cross daily. You take up an instrument of execution. You execute the self. And you do this every single day. Every single day. Because as long as your mindset is stuck on the things of the flesh, as long as your whole mindset and your calendar and your finances are all built around gratifying your own desires, I'm not saying like take no time for yourself and never have rest and never have Sabbath. No, I'm talking about a whole world that is built around just gratifying your desires. It's not pleasing to God. The Christian life is to imitate Christ. And the, the, the example of Christ is one of holiness and self-sacrifice. So I pray that as you apply your life to this text, you're willing to slay the flesh. I'll see you tomorrow as we continue in Romans chapter 8.